1: Hey, cheaters, and welcome to the Always Cheating Fantasy Premier League podcast. My name is Josh. I'm here with Brandon.
0: Brandon, how are you? I'm good, Josh. You did mention fantasy Premier League just there, and uh, some might know that the FPL—it's not happening right now. Sure, we're, we're kind of we're kind of in the midst of a break. We haven't podcasted in three weeks. I feel like I miss you, Josh. I know. I, I feel the same way. And it's,
1: it's hard for me to say that. Um, but uh, there. No, I've, I didn't even say it. Actually, I disagree with you. So I'm off the hook. Um, no, I, 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 I miss doing the podcast for sure. You know, I'll, I'll go that yeah. far.
0: Yeah, um, we're starting starting yeah. to get that itch, that sensation <laughs> that maybe we should actually be doing something here at Always Cheating. Yeah. And good 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 things come to those who wait. We've got a fantastic tournament that's about to kick off this Friday, the 2019 Women's World Cup in France, and it's just not going to be me and you, Josh, just a couple of homies in Brooklyn talking yeah. about the Women's World Cup. That would be terrible. That would be terrible. So, uh, yeah, you went out and found us a good guest. His name is Jeff Kasouf, coming to us from the great website EqualizerSoccer.com. It's a one-stop shop for all of your needs as far as women's football coverage goes. And Jeff is also the co-author of a book, The Making of the Women's World Cup, Defining Stories from a Sports Coming of Age. So uh we talked to Jeff about the teams to watch this World Cup, what's going on in in the state of play with women's football here in the US and globally, and we had a great conversation with him. Yeah, let's so let's get right to it. Yeah, without further ado, let's announce our guest. It's Jeff Kasouf. Did I get that right, Jeff?
2: Yeah, yeah. Jeff Kasuf, yeah. Yeah.
0: Jeff Kasuf, you are the author of the book, The Making of the Women's World Cup, defining stories from a sports coming of age. This book is available in the UK, in the US, other territories, surely.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the UK site can get you the book pretty much anywhere from what I've been told, certainly anywhere in Europe and I think we had someone from brazil but from the uk sites
0: jeff tell tell us quickly a little bit about yourself you uh work for the equalizer what is that
2: yeah i founded the equalizer in 2009 it's our 10th anniversary in july um women's soccer digital outlet um, exclusively women's soccer it was founded on that premise so just there's not enough coverage of, of the women's game and um certainly in 2009 i mean there was there was next to nothing and um, you know, I think there's a lot of new fans in the game that kind of see, yes, there's a lot of talk about a lack of coverage now, and I mean, it's, it's a lot better than it was still certainly not great. So, um, you know, that was the, the founding was just, um, bringing a, uh, I guess equal coverage is, is a fair way to put it of just, you know, what we see in the men's game from you know, the stories, the tactics, everything else to, to the women's game. So, um, been running that for 10 years i've worked at nbc and, and on the premier league for a while actually uh you know in that and 442 and um some other places as well and, and this has been uh sort of uh my baby i guess this website so
0: awesome and it, so it's three of us right now three guys talking about to talk about the women's world cup tell us about the women that are involved with the equalizer
2: yeah we've got a, a pretty wide staff uh geographically uh We've got about a split, even split of men and women um, uh, spread out throughout the country. We've got a couple internationally. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a great team. I mean, honestly, you know, I founded it in, when I did in 2009. It was kind of alone. Um, Did that for, I'm not sure, maybe a couple of years. And we started to, to add some folks, some contributors. And now, I mean, I think we're as large as ever. We're, you know, about a dozen sort of regular folks, um, you know, top of my head, I think, something like 50-50 in terms of, of men and women and, and just, you know, overall, I mean, dedicated people dedicated, you know, to seeing the game grow and and uh, very, very knowledgeable folks on, on the women's game and dating back even to, you know, some of the happenings in the past cycles and even past decades.
1: So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm sort of curious. I want to ask you about the book in a second, but just while we're, while we're talking about, uh, you know, the growth of your site, I mean, So this World Cup is in, um, you know, it's it's in France this year. It was in uh, Canada four years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously it's not, you know, it's not in the, um, you know, in that sort of Eastern or the American time zones right now. But are you still, does it feel like every year the excitement is, like each each sort of World Cup is like building on the last one in terms of uh, fan interest and excitement?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, 2011 was kind of a turning point from an American's point of view. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of reference to 1999, obviously, and I think what's lost in that is from '99 to essentially 2011. There was, I mean, I don't know if you'd call it the dark years of soccer for for the U.S. women, but um, certainly by that moment in 2011, Abby Wambach hits that equalizer in the quarterfinal in the 122nd minute, um, and that's where you kind of see that turning point. Up until there. I mean, you go back and you look at even 2010, the year before the World Cup. um, The U.S. women are playing in front of crowds of like 3,000 people. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. tough. Um, And and that popularity kind of sagged. You know, some of the the stars of the past generation were obviously gone. And so from there, I think you've seen that upturn. 2015 obviously was, you know, the big boom there. Um, And now 2019, I mean, I think there are a lot of folks who are, you know, I, I guess from a media perspective, I look at it and, and it's probably similar to fans. There are a lot of folks who kind of caught that bug in 2015. This team's obviously only grown in popularity in terms of everything it's doing off the field, never mind on it. And, and so now I think, you know, certainly um, continuing to grow and, and certainly the attention on it is
1: uh, even though Brent and I are both in Brooklyn, I actually remember where I was in 1999 when uh, the U.S. won the Women's World Cup. Uh, I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was actually on the quad. Uh, it was amazing. There was so much excitement. I'm not sure if it was because it was a college town or what exactly, but uh, it was a huge moment when they won there. So Did you I, have I, some
0: of those ju- uh, uh, devil sticks? They're hanging out there on the quad. <laughs>
1: okay. I, I did. I did not. No, it was no. Uh, sadly, uh, but it was uh, you know it was a great moments. So I, I, I you know I have been I've been following the, the women's game for you know for twenty years now, but um, but I don't want to be too U.S. focused uh, in this podcast. So uh, so I want to talk about the the, the twenty nineteen World Cup in a second. But just the book itself. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how did it come about? Um, you know, who do you see as the audience? Um, has this been in the works for a while? This book. Uh, no, it's
2: actually a. a we had a pretty quick turnaround by, um, you know, by all standards of books anyway. Um, yeah. Little Brown who's, who's the publisher in the UK and, and you know, has other, other outlets that, that are U you know, S and, and everything. Um, you know, they came to us and, and they wanted to, you know, the women's world cup was upcoming. They knew that they wanted sort of a, a book that kind of told some of the background and, and to the point of um, there being a lot of newer fans, um, you know, an idea of, of kind of painting the picture of how we got here and, and this explosion and popularity for the sport, certainly for the U S team. So um, there was, you know, I'd say it started honestly with um, a vision from the publisher, which is, you know, always a, I guess a month for, for buy-in, um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and then we, we went from there and kind of worked on, you know, what can we do? Certainly um, some of it, I guess, is what can we do in the timeline? And um you know, the, the publisher being UK-US focused, the focus of the book is on those two markets. And thankfully for, I guess, the concept of the book, the U.S. is such a storied program that it kind of allows you to make half of a book about the U.S., even though it might feel disproportionate.
0: So Well, in, in, um, in England, England in its own right is a really up-and-coming nation in the women's <laughs> game. I mean, we just need to say the name Phil Neville uh, leading that. Camp <laughs> hey, Brandon, there. how
1: about how about how about Lucy Bronze, which is one of the one of the great names? But I mean, Lucy Bronze is considered like the greatest right back in the world right now, right? Isn't she? Or she's certainly up in the top the top couple.
2: Yeah, she is. She is, and uh, Neville has kind of toyed with her at least briefly in the spring as a defensive midfielder, which was uh, drew some eyebrow raising. But uh, we'll, we'll see if he tries that in a World Cup match. I'm not sure that necessarily He's, he he at least told the press that he was very intrigued by the option so um it was a little bit odd
0: so this will be a fun book for people to pick up and read sort of as the as the women's world cup unfolds the matches start this friday june 7th so it seems like the perfect pairing like learn a little bit about where we are currently with the women's game and also watch some incredible football while you while you catch up
2: Yeah, and I would say, you know, to the point of who's it for, I mean, it's very digestible. It's made for, you know, both the casual fan who's probably coming into this tournament, maybe not knowing a lot about the current teams or even some of the background of those teams. And, you know, for the more diehard fan, um, offering a bit of insight into uh, some things that they're, I'm sure they're aware of on a surface level, but trying to bring uh, a little bit of, of background color, you know, an example being, I mean, for 2015, I was... I followed the U S team throughout the tournament and covered them. So, you know, I'm able to kind of give some behind the scenes of, of what things looked like the mood around the team, certainly as they struck through the group stage, you know, the things that you wouldn't necessarily see, just, just tuning in on, uh, on TV. So it's, it's geared toward that casual fan that you know wants to kind of get caught up. And also, you know, some of the, the more diehards will, will find some interesting information in it. But, but I would say to the, you know, each chapter is essentially for you know, more or less independent of the other. So you can kind of read it as you go. I mean, each chapter is dedicated to a team slash tournament.
1: Uh, I actually, I love books like that. I I have a couple of uh, yeah collected, uh, Simon Cooper has a book uh, that's sort of like that, or just like these sort of little potted stories and um, yeah, they're. Uh, that sounds, sounds like a great read. Um, mm. So let's get let's get into the 2019 World Cup. Uh, as Brandon just said, it kicks off on Friday. Um, just, you know, just for someone who is just, uh, you know, sort of a lot about it. It's interesting. I was at the um, I was at a bar in Brooklyn called uh, the Black Horse on um, on Saturday for the uh for the champions league final
0: no one's ever heard of it who listens to this podcast (laughs) Uh,
1: and uh, i was talking to um we had a a a listener there who was from uh from australia and then i had a a friend who was uh from uh from north london and uh we were sort of talking about the uh, women's world cup that was kicking off this friday and uh both of them were sort of expressing this like they were interested in it but it was like it was like it was this was the first world cup they were interested in it was like it felt like this was you know it seems like it, even if it's been big in the US this is like the first year where i'm sure that's not germany obviously germany's won a couple of world cups in the last you know japan a lot of places but it feels like in a lot of parts of the world this is like the first time people are really paying attention to the world cup so just speaking broadly are there a couple of sort of key talking points going into the world cup a couple of things that that you know everyone's sort of talking about in the lead up that you could um, get into a little bit
2: yeah, I mean, I think one of the big ones is is the depth of the field. Uh, I think it was discussed a little bit coming into 2015, but certainly you look at, I think that second tier, for lack of a better term, with with no disrespect to them, is has kind of edged its way toward um, challenging and being able to to run with and even defeat some of these these sort of traditionally powerhouse programs. I mean, an example being a U.S. and you look at in um, Australia, who I think is a, a really a wild card of a team but you know you look at some of these results that those two teams in particular have had in friendlies over the past few years and you know that's not a team Australia that would have traditionally um, really been able to roll with the U.S. and certainly in a major tournament and you've seen kind of a shift in that so I think you know speaking to a more macro level of that you have a bunch of I think it's the most wide open world cup seen yet. Look, I mean, we could get that. We could get down to the final four and it's, you know, your usual suspects, but, um, I think it's wide open. And I think where that'll come into play will be, you know, like in Russia last year, where we saw this ridiculously lopsided bracket after the knockout stage, you know, as the knockout stage filled out, should that happen in, in this women's world cup, where I think it's potentially even more possible with the third place of teams advancing, um, you know, we could see kind of a surprise run to a semifinal or a final. And, um, you know, I think there's probably more than your usual kind of three, four teams that you'd kind of confidently say would be there. And and equally, you know, to to that point, um, I think the U.S., along with other teams, is a team that uh, could repeat. And I kind of feel like I said this in 2015 as well, but, you know, could be out in a very early stage. I mean, everybody's kind of looking at that, quarterfinal potential game in paris usa france i think there's a lot that has to happen to get there but everybody's kind of penciled in so i was looking at
0: uh some website, an odds website saying that france probably just because they're the host nation is has equal odds as the united states to win this tournament so france just apart from being the host nation their squad is up and coming and it sounds like they have the players to compete
2: yeah. I mean, I would say, I mean, more than up and coming, this is kind of their, their moment, uh, make or break moment, really. I mean, you look at this, this generation of players, um, a handful or more than a handful, but you know, a, a part of this generation that really came through in the, that 2011 sort of surge where that started and, and France made that run to the semifinals and nearly you know, had the U S on the ropes for a bit in that semifinal. And uh, <laughs> it's really been disappointment since then. I think I've picked France in every major tournament since then and, uh, been <laughs> disappointed. Um, so, so my running theory is that I'm not going to pick them this time around and, and I'm sure they'll, they'll win it, but, uh, and-
1: until you do, we're going to put your feet to the fire in a few minutes here. <laughs> um, so can you, I, so I'm, I'm sort of, maybe it's just cause I saw this, uh, the amazing new Nike, uh, commercial, uh, this <laughs> afternoon. I don't know if that's, I, I assume that's an international commercial, but, uh, you know, it finishes with, uh, with Sam Kerr and, uh, so I'm really intrigued by her. I mean, I I, I have to be honest. I, I you know didn't know who she was going into this tournament, and you know I look now. I mean, she, you know it looks like she has you know 77 caps for Australia. She's 25. She plays in Chicago. Um, so I probably should have known who she was already. But what's 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 the story with Sam Kerr?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think you know obviously you can add an arguably to this, but but best player in the world. Um, you know, alongside a, a couple of others who can make that claim. Um, a different player than, than, you know, not a Hegerberg who, you know, has obviously been, well, has obviously won that award, the first Ballon d'Or. But I would say certainly two, I don't want to say two years ago, but two sort of FIFA votes ago, um, I I think Sam Kerr was was certainly uh, got my vote for that, um, for best player in the world. And and, um, she's just, I think Americans can particularly appreciate that she's, she's just kind of this pure goal scorer who has that sort of physical element, but is obviously also very technical. Um, and she's just, she's kind of, she's got this sort of aura to her as well. It's kind of a, she's very grounded, but she's kind of at this point, I would say if she's not already a, a bona fide superstar, I think to the really wider public, um, that doesn't know her yet. She, she should be after this tournament. She's been doing what she's been doing for a couple of years now. So
1: Yeah. And is Australia good enough? I mean, could she like, what's, what's, is there like a, you know, could Australia make the elimination rounds? Could they make, maybe make a semifinal? Like what's, you know, how, how, how quality is her team?
2: I mean, Australia is anywhere from a a surprise champion to bombing out round of 16. And I don't, I don't mean to couch that it's, it's really Sam Kerr. I mean, they're they're a team that maybe like the U S the way that recent results have gone they're a team that like she can carry them on her back and and they need her to score because defensively they're incredibly suspect. I think if they had a little bit of depth at center back, um, not even depth. I mean, honestly, they haven't found a solution in the center of the park starting wise for, for their center backs that, that has really worked. So I think if they had a better back line, I'd probably be picking them as kind of like a hipster pick to win the tournament. But Um, whereas I was doing that to a degree in August, I've really soured on them over the past six months or so, just, just because of their, their back line, Sam Kerr could go score, you know, six, seven goals in this tournament, but.
1: I gotcha. It's, 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 it's kind of like be Liverpool enough. before, uh, before Van Dyke joined, right? It's, it's, it's just something, <laughs> yeah. something, no, they weren't, they weren't quite there yet. Um, so, um, okay. So uh, I, I like Australia as a dark horse though. I'm going to, I, go I don't know. Maybe just, Let's go. It's, yeah. Well, it's, it's just the power of branding perhaps. Um, <laughs> <do> gamble. But, <laughs> so, uh, one thing and I, I sort of mentioned this earlier, um, you know, talking to, um, Uh, talking to a couple people um during the champions league final on saturday but you know it does seem like the growth of the um the fa women's super league uh in great britain has really uh maybe it's just england i I think it's probably just england not great britain as a whole but um has the growth of that do you feel like that's changing the game at all like is that um like are you feeling that like that there's like more sort of energy or excitement Maybe, maybe just in england itself um for the you know for women's football
2: Yeah, I would say England, and I would broaden it a bit to Europe, just based on some of the commercial deals that we've seen. And I don't mean to make it like a business thing, but I would say in terms of how I've been seeing it and feeling it from the U.S., I mean, there's a very clear movement over the past six to eight months of significant investment in the women's game in Europe through deals like the Visa deal, and then you know Nike joined on that um, not far after, where they're they're packaging the entirety of the Euros, um, the UEFA Champions League. Um, There's been a lot of investment there at a time when the NWSL here domestically uh, has really struggled on a business front. Um, So I think that's been a pretty jarring dichotomy of of what's going on in Europe from an investment standpoint and what seems to be, even from the inside here, a lack of that um, on on the, the NWSL front. So I think that's been felt I mean, I know I've spoken with players who've seen that, uh, you know, you look at um, one of the interviews that we had last year, just kind of always comes front of mind. Allie Riley talked to us and said, you know, she moved from the Damos Fensken in Sweden, which, you know, in past years, maybe more so decades, but has traditionally been one of the best leagues and just said, you know, I don't think it's there anymore. And I think England is is where I need to be to pursue dreams of champions league. And, everything else and obviously chelsea was was pretty close this year so um i think the you know above all the investments there and obviously that attracts players and, and
0: well didn't uh, alex morgan go play for was it Lyon when they went on a tournament run a couple seasons ago
2: she did yeah i mean you know Lyon is kind of its own its own class i mean it's it's you know harlem globetrotters and,
0: uh, and i see
2: Thing. so um, like the french league is Lyon and psg and and even from an investment point. I mean, uh,
0: so know, by so Harlem Globetrotters, you mean Alex Morgan was just throwing confetti on people in the stands <laughs> uh, during <lulls laughs> on the matches.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an embarrassment of riches at the on. Um, so, you know, that's, that's obviously, you know, uh, you but, know, but surely uh,
0: all, all of the investment in Europe that you're, uh, that we're talking about. And, and especially in England is what is adding to this depth of field that could make this one of the more intriguing, World Cups. Uh, oh, exactly. Memory.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you know, even even down to uh, you know, if you're talking dark horses, um, I'm not going to say to win the tournament by any means, but a team that maybe makes a run that traditionally would be like, well, I don't know. where'd that come from? Spain. Um, Spain is invested in youth programming, and you've seen that at U17, U20 World Cups, where they've been, you know, among the best teams, and have won they won almost every trophy in a in a short one-year span, essentially. Um, and, you know, you see that with the Spain in the youth programming, you see that with some of the investment they've made uh, through La Liga and, and, you know, in the domestic league there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's kind of the micro level of the investments within the countries, and it's kind of now starting to trickle up to or move its way up to these senior teams. And you're seeing it now too, you know, at a broad sort of continental level
0: e a sports is the ultimate bellwether, and that that women have been uh integrated into the FIFA game since about two years ago, I think speaks to what all these big business investors believe the potential of this market is, and the involvement of of younger and younger women getting interested in the game so yeah it's it is it is fascinating. So um, if you were to play – I have a question for you, Jeff. If you were to Mm -hmm. play any female player in FIFA on the video game right now, (laughs) who would it be?
2: Like the only – so I'm just her or I'm playing? All right. Yeah, well, pick a team and then (laughs) let's let's drill down to the player here, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean I guess – I'm sure I haven't looked at the rankings, but I'm sure that the u s is probably uh you know well received in the in the ranking department and probably is is sort of set up in that game to to do very well so um, yeah i mean I think probably uh, look the, for depth the u s is is as good if not better than anybody else in the world so um, yeah I, I heard it team to pick. I,
0: I heard an interview with um with Megan Rupino, who was talking about the US style of play when they hmm. won in uh twenty fifteen, she was she she was failing that maybe this was sort of her playing the uh the plus the press junket ahead of twenty nineteen, <laughs> but saying in twenty fifteen they were playing more of a haphazard long ball or get it out to the wings and just cross it into wombat but she feels the style that the u.s is now playing going into the 2019 tournament is more focused more quote possession based mm-hmm. uh a, a, a little more positive is do you see any truth to that assessment for megan rupino
2: yeah absolutely i think um i think you know among uh, everybody i think she's traditionally a pretty a pretty straight shooter on kind of what's going on and she'll tell you when when it's bad and she's she, you know mm-hmm. she's He's done so um, even recently, honestly, because they've, they've had a couple of different results that have been not as great this year. Um, yeah. I mean, certainly 2015, look, they, they were, they were poor up until that quarterfinal and then, you know, insert the the conspiracy theory that Jill Ellis got lucky because Lauren holiday and Megan Rapinoe got suspended and she had to make changes, but you know, once those changes were made, which she started to make the right choices, obviously they were a different team from, from that group stage and that round of 16. So, um, I, you know, I I thought beginning of 2015, you know, they got whooped in France and really, uh, really exposed. They really didn't look good that spring. They didn't look good in the opening of that tournament. And then they just kind of figured it out, which to be fair is, is, you know, part of what a major tournament is. It's sometimes it's just getting by, um, this time around. Yeah. I mean, they've shifted, you know, they're not in that sort of, uh, Strict four four two that they always played certainly in the in the P S N Haga era as well 3 uh, it's it's a lot more dynamic it leaves them a bit more exposed for sure um, but they've they've actually you know they've found some technical players to kind of buck the stereotype of just long ball um, yeah, they're a much yeah. better possession team a much more aesthetically pleasing team now but we'll see if that you know at the same time that's been happening the the world has sort of the, the teams around them have been developing this as well. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the
1: the one thing that um, I, I was reading um, just in the, in the lead up to this conversation was that the U.S. had, uh, the U.S. women's team, I think is the the oldest team by average age going into uh, the 2019 World Cup, which on the one hand is kind of fun because I'm like, hey, I know all these players. Uh, but on the other hand, um, is that is that a little worrisome? I mean, are there, you know, who are the sort of, Well, I mean, yeah, I'll just ask that. I mean, are you, does the team, is the team a little old to you and is that a concern?
2: Well, so they were actually the oldest team in 2015 as well. So I kind of chuckled when um, that stack came out last week. I think it was that um, it was very predictable because the thing with the U S as well is that a young player in the U S is not young by the world standards. I mean, you know, Tierna Davidson is, is the youngest off top of my head. Um, 22 I think so you know even even the quote-unquote young players of this team that haven't been to a major tournament are you know 23 24 25 they're, they're not your you know European superstar 19 year olds coming through the ranks type of thing so um, I don't know that it worries me per se I mean there's other things that jump out that are more sort of front and center that would worry me like the back line and, and the lack of chemistry there and just they've been leaking goals in the screen. I don't think that has anything to do with age. Say I mean you've got young, young enough uh, players on the back line for the most part anyway. Um, so Brandon, you're suddenly really I can I,
1: I can feel your worry just like I, it's <laughs> pulsating right now, Brandon, on the microphone.
0: Yeah, the, it, it's getting <laughs> tense. Though, <laughs> though, um, I am getting super excited to watch Tobin Heath play. Um, mm-hmm. She's one of my favorite players on the U.S. team. I believe anything is possible when she's on the pitch.
2: <laughs> that sounds like a T-shirt. <laughs> <Possible> <laughs> yeah, exactly. with Tobin.
0: That might have been that Nike ad I saw earlier. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh,
2: yeah. All, all right, <laughs> we're, we're
0: we're 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 in trouble of talking about the U.S. team too much. So, um, the question that everyone wants to know with the tournament is. What's the group of death?
2: Oh, man. No, I, I can't. <laughs> the cliche group of death. But I will say those first, those first two days, those two groups are extremely interesting. And I think particularly group A, but, but certainly group B, are much more wide open than we're probably in a sort of mainstream, you know, US-centric, Euro-centric view of things going to, to give credit to. Because I think, you know, you look at B um, Germany, I think Germany is a very divisive team right now as as public opinion goes. Um, Mm -hmm. but obviously a traditional power will be expected to win that group will be at least internally expected to win the tournament. But China is, is really a a decent team. I think they showed that in 2015. They've showed it, (laughs) excuse me, in friendly sense. Um, Spain, like I mentioned before is, is a much better team than I think most will give credit for. Uh, honestly the the thing about this group like people are going to look at south africa and just completely dismiss it's going to be one of those things where if you're a german fan or a a spain fan like spain is probably looking at this saying right we can at least get second in this group we're getting three points off south africa like south africa has shown that they're a team that is extremely disciplined they don't break down very often they've gone to two straight olympics where they've essentially played out you know played teams tough they've they've earned some nil nil draws. I mean, they're not an easy team to break down. Um, so I think that's a group that's really quite open. I think Group A is is probably a little bit more open than um, than maybe meets the eye. I mean, Nigeria is a bit of a wild card. I think they've been on, on a bit of a down slope, you know, in, in recent cycles. Anyway, um, Norway. I know there's there's a lot of attention on for other reasons. Sure. Yeah. A very good team. And Korea Republic. I don't see a lot of, but I, I know it has. I know some of the individual players of certainly of quality and, and have done well in Asia. So, those two groups, and I would quickly say, uh, Group E, I'm interested in because Canada is the seeded team. I'm never very high in Canada. I think they're just kind of traditionally like uh, perennially like a quarterfinalist team, and, and you know, New Zealand, Netherlands, obviously, I think that could be another group that kind of gets a little wild.
0: Um, is is Norway really hindered by the absence of Ada Hegerberg? the, uh, the Ballon d'Or winner she's she's said we're actually going to talk about this in a little bit from uh, one of our listener questions but her being this talismanic player and the best female player in the world according to FIFA is her absence from Norway really going to damage their chances in the tournament
2: well I mean I think just by her pure quality of what she would bring from a traditional sort of skill set you know looking at it that way yeah, I mean, there's there's no way. I mean, if you're asking, is Norway better or worse without her? Would they be better with her? I'm here to ask um, the tough questions.
3: Jeff. <laughs> yeah,
2: but but um, you know, I think this is it's it's still a very good team. I, I think certainly much better than it was in 2015 coming into the tournament. Um, so so yeah, I think it's you know, there's a lot of play there, obviously, but um, it, it's a team that you know she's she is if not the best player, one of the best players in the world, depending on who you ask kind of thing. And and she would definitely make any team she's on better. I've got one, one final question
1: then we're going to do a a quick lightning round of some listener questions. Um, So there are six matches set this weekend. Um, It's Germany, China, Spain, South Africa, Norway, Nigeria on Saturday. Uh, And then Sunday, we've got Australia, Italy, Brazil, Jamaica, England, Scotland, uh, of those six matches, let's say that you are just you've never watched a single women's World Cup match or a single maybe mm. maybe just a single women's football match at all. If you were just going to dip your toe in of those six matches, is there one that stands out to you that should be really you know, competitive mm. or you know a great crowd or just something you know stands out to you?
2: Tough one, tough one. I mean, yeah, I think the the easy answer would be England Scotland just because of. Um, I think a lot of folks are kind of viewing that in a traditional kind of sense of if those men's team met. But mm-hmm. I think Brazil-Jamaica would be a game, if I had to pick one of those, that I would say has the potential to be really fun. Jamaica's playing in its first World Cup. This will be its first World Cup game ever. Brazil enters this tournament not only on a ridiculous losing streak but also with a lot of banged-up players that I just saw before we recorded that they had to make a roster replacement um so you know brazil a team that people are going to look at and say oh brazil marta you know that's a big team brazil has been on on a downturn really for the last eight years really um, certainly over the past four and jamaica is a team that you know I, they're not world beaters but first world cup game they made some noise in the qualifying tournament they have Bunny shaw could Bunny shaw they have some players that can do some things i mean i think could be a cool atmosphere certainly if fans from both of those countries turn out um it, it's a you know Jamaica would be a team that I think a neutral in the stands could get behind so I think it could have a fun atmosphere it could have kind of a, a headliner shocking result potentially and it, and it could just be I mean especially with Brazil I mean it, who knows it could be you know a six seven goal game too
1: that is a total wild card answer. And I I see now I'm excited for all of
0: these games, Brandon. I want to root for Jamaica. Uh, I want to work, root for Jamaica, as Jeff says. But I still can't get that Brad Guzon handball out of my mind. I don't know <laughs> if you remember from the Gold Cup. Of, uh, was it that? Was that a couple of years ago? But I don't know. It's a CONCACAF obstacle for me. Yeah. Uh, being yeah. a U.S. fan. <laughs>
1: All right, let's, ready you want to, should we move on to the, uh, the questions section of this podcast?
0: Yeah, it wouldn't be an episode of Always Cheating without a traditional lightning round with some questions from our listeners. So the first one comes from our friend Eric Freeman. He wants to know, I would love to hear Jeff's thoughts on how much influence star athletes have over the future of the Women's World Cup, especially in cases like Ada Hegerberg's holdout from the Norway team for fair play and treatment. Can we expect change? Or is the business of football bigger than these players? So Ada Hegerberg is sitting out this world cup for Norway because of um, pay ish pay scale issues with uh, Norway's national team. Is that a fight that she is expected to win? And does this, uh, the U S women women have been vying for similar fair pay treatment. I mean, Considering the fact that the women in the US actually win tournaments that the men can't even qualify for, it's it's crazy that they don't get paid as much as the men. But um are these are these battles that we're thinking that women are looking to win or or, or where are we in the state of play?
2: Yeah, I mean and, and Hegelberg actually goes pretty deep into um she hasn't really fully explained every little detail and such that she won't, but um, she's, she's kind of got a, a sort of longer list of, of, things that the Norwegian FA and the country as a whole are, are not doing for, um, or that she sees are not, is not doing for women. So, um, I mean, I think incremental change would be, um, you know, something that, that you can expect to kind of see. And I think you have seen it in, I mean, when the starting point is, is a ridiculous sort of, uh, mistreatment maybe incremental change is not the answer that people want to hear and it, it shouldn't necessarily be the one that they expect but I mean even down to like if we rewind four years ago and really more like seven years ago I guess seven, eight years ago you know FIFA pulled a bunch of crap if we're being honest of, of putting putting this 2015 tournament on turf and you know pretty much figured they could get away with it um, you know I know depending on who's listening to this it's not as big of a deal but Players weren't happy. That fight dragged on for two years or so. And, and what came of that? Well, you know, essentially it came down to a meeting. Abby Wambach, a couple other folks, uh, representatives sitting with FIFA January of that year before the World Cup and, and getting a verbal promise that it won't be on grass or sorry, it won't be on artificial turf ever again. And you can actually see in the bidding for 2023, which is going on right now, that natural grass is is specifically listed as a requirement for the bidding nation, which, ridiculously, I guess, didn't actually exist exists in, in the past. So I think you see things like that. Um, you see what the U.S. is doing off the field. Obviously, the big stuff suing the federation, but but also kind of figuring out um, that they have value, that they have commercial value in what they're doing, that they should get paid. And and if the federation isn't going to pay them, not only going to they are going to sue their employer, but also um, they're going to go find their worth essentially through sponsorships and endorsements. And, and they've signed a lot of these, these different deals. So um, I might be going long on lightning round here just to say
0: (laughs) you wouldn't be the first Jeff. (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah, I think you'll see change, but I mean, you know, as far as like, is the prize gap gonna, gonna close dramatically? You know, I, I mean, I think my, my end answer is usually it's FIFA.
1: So <laughs> right, yep, sure exactly, enough. yeah. That's a, it's a, it. ends every argument, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, next question comes, and I think we've already discussed this next one a little bit. But um, Trevor Ingerson says, yeah, he'd love to know how the U.S. women's national team is viewed by Europe. I'll actually expand that to include uh, the rest of the world. Um, he says he feels like the gap is closed, but is that how other countries feel?
2: Yeah, I think you know, as far as the view of the U.S., I think it's a mix of. Um, you know some of the smaller nations in these battles that we were talking to kind of view the U.S. as sort of the the beacons and the, the change agents that are fighting um, for for you know change in the world and, and kind of following their lead. I think you know on the field the U.S. is uh, viewed as you know kind of a an arch enemy by by many um, and, and maybe resented a bit for its its winning ways and some of its perceived arrogance. Uh, is the Canada guy,
1: must feel Canada feels <laughs> better for sure. Right. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Canada is, is the chief rival and it's, it's the most lopsided rivalry in like the history of sports for a legitimate rivalry. It's, you know, um, I think it's, they haven't beat the U.S. in, I don't have it in front of me, but like a decade. So, um, you know, it's, it's been a while. um so yeah i think gap closed a while ago is is like look at the youth tournaments and you can see how much you know that's what's coming through the pipeline obviously the u.s is struggling mightily in youth tournaments and you have countries like spain that are really dominating in those areas
0: all right next question max football he asks how much credit should england get for winning the she believes cup and what precedent does this set for the women's world cup so um she believes cup that is this a tournament that happens every year?
2: Yeah. Every, every late winter, early spring, February, March. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I would say independent of each other, England is, is one of the main contenders of this world cup. And that I don't really rate she believes cup results all that high. I mean, certainly it was, you know, it was a, a notable tournament to win. Um, but, you know, in the end, it is a friendly tournament. I mean, Japan, for example, is just constantly experimenting and was still doing so there. Uh, you know, obviously, beating the U.S. Is, is always kind of laying down a marker. So um, I would say she believes it's a decent feather in the cap, I guess, but I don't rate it that much. But with that said, certainly England is a, is a big contender for this World Cup.
1: All right, next question comes from Tom Campbell. He says, uh do you envision there being a mixed gender game being played a la mixed doubles and professional tennis in the future?
2: No, I mean it never really crossed my crossed my run line <laughs> to be honest. Um, nor
1: nor mine. I'm sort of intrigued now that you raised I, it, but yeah, yeah, I never I never considered that either. <laughs> I,
2: yeah, I think the only thing would be Olympics probably and, and sure. Olympic soccer is just so um it's just so low on the priority list. I mean, FIFA made it a U twenty three event for the men, and I just couldn't see it happening other than the Olympics, and, and that's a, a crowded space. I mean, the last I heard, they were thinking about a uh, what was it? Not three v three, like like the three v three basketball. They were thinking about um, like small sided soccer, right? But I don't, I don't think I never heard anything about a mixture. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The only mixed gender game i 'm familiar with is the six aside co ed league that I play in, and <laughs> all the men were just like disgusting lumps of flesh that we were stuck in the back playing defense, and the women are up front the physical, able to actually run, control the ball. So I can see this mixed gender game basically leaving men in the dust.
1: This is true. I I, I met J- uh, Brandon uh, Jess from your Six side League um, oh, a couple yeah. of she's, days ago. She's yeah, a tenacious she's player, so much more fit than than you and I. It's it's, it's <laughs> yeah. insane. Um, all right. So a uh, final question, um, and th- uh, this is one that uh, we actually talked about a little bit offline before the podcast started. But uh, Tacoma Toffee asks um, how the U.S. and the European media differ and how they cover women's soccer or Uh, slash football um i guess that what i'm sort of curious about is do you see there being a lot more coverage in europe um over the last few years is there a rise in in european coverage of women's football
2: yeah i think there's been a rise i mean i don't get to see as much of the kind of day-to-day there but i do think from from my sort of viewpoint of of being in the day-to-day here in the u.s i think that there's kind of a there's always been a bit of a more appetite at least digitally and, and maybe even on tv you know, there's there certain standards in the U.S. I mean, it's even so much as like you can watch an NWSL game from anywhere in the world, um, and then it's just streamed over the website. And if I want to watch a FAWSL game, I, I mean, for the most part, can't unless I'm doing VPNs and everything else. So um, I think there's kind of more of that daily—I don't want to call it blog—but digital appetite here. But over there, I actually look and I'm like. You know, I see things where back to kind of the commitment, like there. I mean, even recently, there are major media brands that have launched women's sports and and soccer as kind of a, a leading, uh, leading example of it of of coverage of just for women's sports. And there's there are positions and people who are full time committed to women's soccer over in Europe, and um, really doesn't doesn't exist. I can, I'm here to tell you, from someone who's been doing it for a while, that that doesn't. Uh, that those opportunities are, are few and far between, and, and almost not existent here in the U.S. So, uh, I'm not saying there's a lot of them in Europe, but it, it's an interesting sort of uh, shift there as well on the media side.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it changes too after the uh, you know after the World Cup this summer. Uh, all right, final question. I, I, I did um, I didn't warn <laughs> you this was coming, um, and uh, the question is very simple: Who wins the 2019 Women's World Cup?
2: Well, I know what I said earlier, and I was sort of tongue-in-cheek, but in the spirit of 2011, 2012, 2015, and 2016, France is winning
0: this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. It's going to be a double of the, the men's and women's World Cup. Who are you picking, Brandon? I have not heard your pick yet. USA, baby! Listen, we're coming for you, France.
1: <laughs> well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Austria. I'm gonna go with my dark horse candidate. Then I'm just. I'm all in on. On. I don't know why I'm so like <laughs> intrigued by this Sam Kerr thing, but I, I really. I, I got sucked in reading about her. I'm just sort of. Just interested. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'll be. I'll be rooting for the U.S. women's team, but then maybe I'll. Maybe I'll be like you know betting on the. US,
2: I was gonna a, say. I US, haven't looked you know, at those. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I haven't looked at those odds, but I think if you put money, Australia is probably one that could could pay you a bit more because they're not. Pay you that. It is you know, true, that, Josh. Yeah, though, gambling's if, not if, illegal.
0: Gambling, you know, if, if gambling were legal in the United States, of course, <laughs> the, uh, right. the caveat. <laughs> if only there were a way. It's true, though, uh, as you say, Josh. The um, the Sam Kerr Nike ad commercial. Like, if if this podcast hasn't gotten you psyched enough for the Women's World Cup, seek out the Nike World Cup commercial with Sam Kerr and it'll leave you pretty breathless and and uh, wanting wanting to watch these matches I, it was so nerdy. I
1: have to admit, I actually did this though earlier tonight. I, I hadn't seen the commercial yet, and I, I had my wife, and I have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and my wife and daughter and I was like, all right, we all have to watch this together oh. <laughs> uh, just to get us all excited for the uh, for the World Cup. So uh, everyone was very into it. My daughter even started kicking a soccer ball around afterwards. So awesome. uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely excited.
0: All right, Jeff. So the, the title of the book, again, is The Making of the Women's World Cup, Defining Stories from a Sports Coming-of-Age you your co your co-author is kieran thievam and tatham, uh yeah. tatham. tatham and you've got a forward here from legendary english goal scorer kelly smith how did you land that one
2: yeah um you know i guess we've got both certainly kieran even even more so than myself um i've known kelly through the years she obviously played in the u.s as well um and she's in the media space now too so you know thankfully um you know, she, she was kind enough to, to do that. And, um, you know, obviously we have a huge respect for her and, and you know, she respects kind of what we've been been doing with trying to grow the game through, you know, grow the women's game through, uh, through our media positions. And, uh, yeah, so she did the forward for us talking a bit about just kind of the feeling of, of what a world cup is, and, um, you know, what it feels like to be in one as a player. I think you can actually get the, the preview of that on like the, Kindle preview if you're looking on Amazon or something. but um, And then you actually have a full chapter more or less on her and, and kind of England in that 2007 tournament, her breakout, and then that famous photo of her kissing the boot after she scores. so uh,
0: Amazing. Yeah.
2: Cool. The making of
0: the Women's World Cup. Check it out at a fine bookstore near you. And also, you can find Jeff at equalizersoccer.com or give him a follow on Twitter at Jeff. Cassof J-E-F-F-K-A-S-S-O-U-F. Jeff, thanks a million for being on the OFG New Podcast.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah. Much appreciated,
1: Jeff. And uh, yeah, I'll be following the coverage uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, I, I just went on a, a full on follow spree um, over the last week or so, just picking up every every good. <laughs> um, uh, a lot of blogs and websites I should have been following already probably. But um, yeah, I, I know I feel like Twitter is always the place to go, but it sounds like uh, Equalizer Soccer too is going to be a great place to get my my fix over the next month or so. so. Uh, and then, yeah. then from, from then on, of course, too. Yeah. So thanks again, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right, well, thanks to everybody for listening to the podcast. Um obviously we are uh, we're still at least a month away from from the site relaunching. Um probably,
0: yeah, I'd say about a month,
1: right? Maybe maybe the end of June. I I would expect early July is when we'll see the new site comments so right. Right around fourth of July, usually, right?
0: Yeah, and then the, the Premier League fixtures are being announced in like two weeks. Yeah. Fairly soon. Yeah. Coming soon.
1: I, I still it's funny, I still don't completely miss the fantasy game, I miss. I miss regular Premier League matches. I the the break from fantasy has been good for me. I think you know, I, <laughs> I like a couple more weeks away. It will serve me good. I feel like the Women's World Cup. I mean, I am excited about it just to watch it, but I also feel like it will sort of it like it will like it'll cl- like cleanse my palate from like this sort of long, you know, nine months of endless football that we've just watched
0: i do think if you were starting to feel like you missed the premier league that the champions league final was a good antidote to that it was like Seriously. hey here's what's basically a premier league match and it's kind of terrible <laughs> <Yeah>. it was <laughs> it was so bad
1: uh, it, i i don't know if it was yeah i was listening to some podcast over then they're like was it the weather was it the um was it the early the, goal was it the layoff and it was like take your
0: pick you know it was like everything was bad Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, so uh, I guess back into our hibernation. But if mm-hmm. you need us, you know where to find us. Uh, yep. s- you can still subscribe and follow us on social. We're we're available wherever find po- podcasts are found.
1: Yeah, and we actually uh, we are doing a Patreon exclusive podcast next Monday. We'll be recording that, um, and we'll be doing some regular podcasts like this too. I, I like this sort of dive bomber approach that we're doing right now. Uh, you don't know when a podcast is going to come until we <laughs> until we just mm-hmm. drop it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's I. I it's like a low pressure way for us to record some podcasts. It's sort of fun. We'll, we'll pop it. Maybe we'll even do another Women's World Cup. You know, um, you know. We'll see where we are in a week or two here. Um, but you know, definitely, um, probably not when the fixtures launch, that keep might your be really eyes solo, in the random. sky yep, yep. for yep.
0: the always cheating drone that's just going to <laughs> exactly. uh, drop one on you.
1: But we might, um, you know, I don't think when the fixtures are announced, we'll do a podcast. But, you know, certainly, um, you know, before, the, you know, right around the time the game launches, you'll see uh, regular, premier, you know, regular podcasts from us. Uh, but until then, it might just be sort of these little one-off podcasts and interviews.
0: Cool. Well, a uh, quick thank you to our producers as usual Mike DePetra, Stephen Toomey, Sam Street, Carl Rasmuth, Leany Granley, Chris Howell, Rafikon, Martin Savage, Rick Brailsford, Jim Payne, Adam Benjamin, Max Chamberlain, Brian T, Trevor Ingerson, Chris Carter, the Big Gaffer, Bob is Jeff Hustle and Flo, Ben Grant, James Holland, Matt Ritter, Kajatan, and Jazz Binning. And uh, you know where to find us online or just go to alwayscheating.com.
1: That's right. And uh, yeah, once again, to become a Patreon supporter, go to patreon.com slash always cheating. If you want to reach out to us, send us an email, hailcheaters at gmail.com, or you can just DM us on on Twitter or um, you can actually message us right through our website.
0: Fantastic, Josh. So uh, 3 p.m. in the States. That's the kickoff for France, South Korea, the first match of the Women's World Cup. Looking forward to it.
1: Yep, I'm too Uh, Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to these matches Now I'm kind of excited about this uh, This Brazil um, I I thought that might be a skipper But now I'm like, that's the match to watch this weekend That's pretty cool
0: Yeah, well, uh, it's a hail Tobin From me, who's going to be your talisman This World Cup Is Kerr forever? It's (laughs)
1: Kerr Kerr forever
0: Both Steve Kerr and Australia's Kerr, both Kers Uh, So many great Kers out there in the mix All right, everyone Bye. Talk to you soon. Bye.
3: Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.